Hi, I'm Peter Rowland. And I'm Katie Steckles. And Peter, what's today's mathematical object? Today's most mathematical of objects is a plate of biscuits. Ah. And to talk about this plate of biscuits and what we might uh, notice and wonder about it, we have special guest Alison Kiddle. Hello, everybody. Yeah, so um, the the plate of biscuits. Then shall I shall I start by describing it, just in case anyone's not uh, seen the picture? Yes, please. Okay, so the plate of biscuits. It's got uh, two custard creams, which are rectangular biscuits. Uh, well. Um, they're, they're three dimension, but we're looking down on top of the the plate of biscuits, uh, so they're they're recta- rectangular. I'd say probably about a three to two aspect ratio. Uh, I'm not not sure. Uh, might need to get the ruler out and measure that one. And then there's also a rectangular shortbread on the plate, which is a bit longer and and thinner. It's a similar. Uh, width to the custard cream but a bit longer and I've arranged four of them on a plate so two custard creams and two shortbread biscuits. We, see we are the idiots who made a podcast uh, where we describe objects on the audio yeah. uh, but you're excellent. That was a real mathematician's description of an yeah. object. That's good. <laughs> well they are 3D yeah. but <laughs> we don't care about that for this yeah. Yeah, so so this came about because uh, at the start of uh, lockdown, way back when, um, I got very, very bored and I wanted to post some pictures on Twitter to show the maths that I was working on. But most of the maths I was working on wasn't really the sort of thing that could could go on Twitter. I was doing a lot of uh, website stuff. It was back when I worked at, at Enrich. And it, it wasn't the, the, the most sherry kind of thing. But I realised that every morning I was stopping at about 11 o'clock for a coffee break and I was having biscuits. And I was arranging these biscuits on the plate because I, I do. If I've got biscuits, I will arrange them mathematically. And I thought I could share these these pictures with other people. And there's a thing in maths education Twitter of posing the questions, what do you notice and what do you wonder? So I just started putting these up. Uh, with the caption and it generated lots of discussion people really wanted to talk about what they noticed about uh, my biscuits so this particular one I arranged the biscuits in two different ways the the first way was to put the four biscuits around in a rectangle so the two custard creams sort of top right and bottom left and then the two shortbreads uh, bottom right and top left and then I also arranged them in what I kind of refer to as a windmill pattern so the four biscuit corners meeting in the middle but going out uh, in in spokes a little bit like a windmill and the fact that they could be arranged in two different ways generated some really Mm. interesting mathematical discussion. I mean I realise that you know the the point of this is that I meant to notice things but I've literally just noticed that the bottom custard cream in both pictures is upside down and because they say the word custard cream in the middle like they have a an orientation, like they have two different ways up they can be, which means that the whole thing has a sort of rotational symmetry, which I find incredibly satisfying. I'm really glad you noticed that, Katie, because that was 100% <laughs> deliberate. And presumably you've done the same thing with the shortbreads. You've made sure that you've turned one of them round. Yeah. Yes, this caused consternation when I first posted this posted this picture because somebody pointed out that there's like a little dotty pattern on the top of the shortbread 
biscuits and it's not exactly the same on every biscuit oh. and we actually did get a biscuit ex- expert responding to the thread to talk about how you you know you have to make these little indentations so that it will cook evenly and, and properly right. but then it does break the symmetry of it mm. so but surely that's not surely not done by hand it's not someone sat there poking individual holes there's presumably like a stamp that comes in with the holes yes it, it's going to be a stamp but i think because of the way that things shift slightly it means mm. that they're they're not perfectly uh uniform on every biscuit which is is deeply dissatisfying. this raises questions about which is the most mathematically precise biscuit you know what <laughs> which ones have you know perfect symmetry and which ones don't hmm. interesting well, because the cream has writing on it. So well, true, yeah, that's, that's yeah. ruined it. If you, if you ignore that, yeah. Bourbons are no good because they have writing on as well. In, in fact, quite a lot of biscuits have writing on. Mm. Malted milk's useless. There's just a picture of a cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the good news there is that it does mean that you have to do what I've done here, which is that if you want to create a pattern with rotational symmetry, you have to have multiple copies of the same biscuit. You can't do it with just one biscuit, which for people who like to have more than one biscuit with their coffee break is really good news, I think. Yeah, I think four is a good number. Four, four is the correct number of biscuits to have in one go, I think. I mean, it, it did. Yeah. Uh, it, it 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 does prompt something else that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is what counts as a large number or a small number. And mm-hmm. I think in the case of biscuits, four is getting sort of up there towards a large number of of biscuits to have. But whether a number is large or small is so context dependent. Mm. I think. Yeah, but I mean, if you've got three biscuits, you can always argue, I need there to be rotational symmetry in my arrangement of biscuits, therefore I must have a fourth biscuit. So it's, <laughs> it's completely legit, yeah. I can't take my eyes off the, the four little dots and the three little dots now that you pointed out. It's <laughs> great. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 I've also never really thought about the pattern on the custard creams. I was just looking at that. Yeah, it's very intricate, isn't it? It's it is, yeah. Quite a ornate Regency biscuits. It's symmetrical, I think. I think so, yeah. It's got, yeah. Except for the writing. I mean, it makes me wonder whether it's the same pattern on every different brand of custard cream, because mm. I suspect a lot of them are made in the same factory. Mm. Yes. But then, you know, you get into to sampling issues. How many of these would I packets would I have to buy in order to be able to start to saying things about whether they were made in the same factory or not. Yeah. Consistency mm. across custard creams. I'm, I'm now wondering if the, the detail in that pattern means that the experience of eating the biscuit, like whether the texture of it is affected by that and whether it means there's more air introduced or, um, you know, whether it breaks differently based on the pattern or... I mean, that's really interesting because I'm convinced that custard creams go soggier quicker than every other biscuit, but I've never rigorously tested that. That's just... Uh, you know my my anecdotal evidence but it really feels as if there is a lot to be studied at every mathematical level about biscuits well i mean there's whole like food science is a is a whole area of science right there are people i know mathematicians who work for bakeries who who do this kind of stuff and analyze these things but i guess it's it's partly obviously that's a sort of material science chemistry almost aspect to it as well but the the sort of physical characteristics of things. So this, is, I guess, this is the point here, right? That there is maths in everything if you if you stop and think about it for a second. Um, and it's also not the kind of maths that people think of when they think about maths, because everyone's sort of talking about quantities and 
calculations and arithmetic. Yeah, like there are there are four things, right? So four. That's yeah, that's maths. maths yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a more kind of the the way that mathematicians sort of pull things apart in their minds, and I guess you have to because that is literally the point of maths is that you you know if you're given a mathematical structure or something you're studying, your job is then to look at it and go, oh, why does it do that, and what would happen if I did this, and why you know how are those patterns in there? Like th- mm. this is the the game, isn't it? I yeah. Guess. So we'll put a link to the website that you've got with a whole load of different pictures on this but some of them are sort of drain cover images which have these fascinating patterns on that you just think you know there's something about the manufacturing of it there's something about the strength of the material um, and all that sort of thing but also but that's a very sort of real world modeling end of things the other thing is you know i'm looking at this the first picture where they're arranged in a rectangle and because the custard cream as you say has this three to two ratio and the other one has about a two to one ratio i'd say and that means the gap in the middle where they don't quite locked together is a rectangle and so I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by the geometry of that rectangle in relation to those other quantities because mm. that's what's formed them right that's, mm. yeah, yeah I guess the, my what I'm wondering now is are any of these any of the sort of interesting standard rectangles so you've got like the golden rectangle where if you cut a square off it you get the same ratio rectangle and you've got the the a4 paper ratio which is one to root two where if you fold it in half you get two of the same rectangle and like do do people who design biscuits think about these things and deliberately make the biscuits in these nice ratios? Like if I if I cut a custard cream in half, would I have two smaller custard creams? Or <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I I think yeah. You you've started to get into some of the sorts of questions that I wanted people to to ask about these biscuits. And what I like about the notice and wonder prompt is that it gives you freedom to explore whatever direction you you want to. And Mm. a lot of people's first instinct is not even to pose a mathematical question. The first things that you notice about a situation, unless you happen to already be quite heavily invested in in mathematics, the first thing you notice might not be very mathematical. But I like the idea of particularly getting uh, children and, and young people to be generating their own mathematical questions to explore. And so you start off asking non-mathematical things, but over the course of those conversations, questions that might be resolved mathematically start to come out. And I'm really glad you mentioned uh, modelling, Peter, because I think the idea of mathematical modelling is something that you can do at quite a young age with children, and yet we don't attach the name mathematical modelling to that process and, until much later on. So the idea of looking at this and saying, what is that rectangle in the middle? Well, we'd need to measure the photograph and we'd need to draw it out and we'd need to start calculating. But then we could abstract and we could say, well, if I had the dimensions of the two rectangles and I put them together, well, first of all, can I always make a bigger rectangle with a smaller rectangle in the middle? Or is it possible to choose biscuit sizes where they'd fit exactly and there wouldn't be a rectangle in the middle? Mm. And then all of a sudden we're moving away from the biscuit context and we're exploring something on squared paper. And then at some point we have to translate it back and pose the question. So what does this mean for the biscuit manufacturers of the world? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so I've noticed you kind of posting these things on Twitter over the last however long and 
I've kind of started doing it now in my own life. And I, what I mean by that is probably I've noticed that I'm doing it in my own life. <laughs> like this is probably something that I was always doing. Um, but it, like literally yesterday, I had a bottle of barbecue sauce and I noticed that on the side it said uh, 31 servings which I guess means apparently someone who works for the barbecue sauce company has decided how much barbecue sauce is one serving of barbecue sauce. And my immediate thought was, I wonder whether that is in any way commensurate with the amount of barbecue sauce I would put on something yeah. <laughs> like is this. And we looked and it turns out they think that 15 grams of barbecue sauce is one serving. Because you get this a lot, don't you? You get like a box of chocolates and it mm. says, recommended serving, two chocolates. And you're like, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Because they they have to put the nutritional information on the front, and they've basically got a target number that they want it to be. They want it to be not in the red category or whatever it is. Yeah. So they sort of say, yeah, this this tiny thing serves four people. Yeah, it's it's fine that we're selling people a box of fat and sugar because we expect that they will only eat two at a time. Yes. So it's fine. But you've got a nice uh, discrete and continuous thing there, Katie, because with washing powder back before they'd invented all the little. Uh, washing tablets and the little mm. gel capsules you used to just get a big tub of, of of washing powder and it would say on it the number of washes because you would dose it with the little cup but of course if you lived in a hard water or a soft water area it might be more or less than that so that was only really an average number of washes but now they're packaged in this discreet way where um discreet packaging um where <laughs> You you have a, a tablet that you throw in the, the thing or, or one of the little gel things that you just, just throw in and you don't have the opportunity to change the amount you use. So it still says on the box 20 washes, but it you can't it, it's not an average anymore it, it's like an absolute you can only mm. double it up or on a thing yeah we have a box mm. of powder with a scoop and we put one and a bit of this scoop in or three quarters of a scoop mm. in yeah. or whatever, depending on the size of the load but yeah you're right you can't do that the thing that fascinates me as well and why i think it's a target for nutritional information anyway for food um the reason i think it's a target is because often the recommended serving doesn't divide into the size of the packet with the, you get this quite a lot with stuff where like, all right, this yogurt is, you know, whatever per serving, but actually that means I'm going to have some left over. What do I do with that bit? Or that means I'm going to have half a serving at the end or something. Yeah, well, the, 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 the bottle of barbecue sauce was unaccountably 465 grams, which means it was exactly 31 right. servings at 15 grams. Yeah. <laughs> you wonder if that's just a function of the size of the bottle that they were mm. using or whether they, because I guess 31 is a number that can change, but yeah. it was... It's like you see this on uh, toilet rolls as well, because they say like you, you look at the packet and sometimes they have quite a lot of information. They have like the number of sheets on a roll and the number of rolls in a packet and that kind of thing. And, you you know, you because you don't know how big the hole is in the middle of a toilet roll. There's all kinds of great mass questions about mm. a packet of toilet rolls. <laughs> like how long would it be if I rolled it all out and all of this kind of thing? Like I noticed one of the pictures on your website is of che a block of cheese. And it's 400 grams of cheese and the serving size is 30 grams. So that's 13 and a third servings, right? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, you don't ever buy just one block of cheese, though, do you? Mm. Yeah, so you... Well, I, I don't. <laughs> it's, it's 13 <laughs> servings and then you eat a bit of cheese, right? That's, that's yeah, the standard. Yeah. 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 Now, the fascinating thing, the reason I, I uh, found the, the block of cheese was I noticed quite a lot of companies have started doing this now where they're reducing the weight of the plastic 
And so they've changed the standard dimensions of the block of, of cheese because you used to get sort of flat, flattish cuboids with a large surface area and now they're more squarish in cross-section. So the, the, the standard surface area of a block of cheese has changed and yeah that's only happened well i've only noticed it in the last 18 months or so that everyone seems to have started changing the shape of their cheese yes this was fascinatingly investigated on um beck hill and matt parker's podcast uh, problem squared but there was a sort of i think it was matt who like phoned up the company and had a good old chat with them about it's not just about the amount of plastic the thing is wrapped in but it's also then the fact that they've taken the zipper off and the fact that they now have an object that they can stack more efficiently in a lorry. And it's all sort of interrelated stuff. It's fascinating. Um, mm. yeah. We had a mathematical moment when our uh, the jars of mango chutney were on three for two. It was a big day. So we've got a mango chutney and a mango and pomegranate and something else, like a lime pickle. Um, and the hexagonal jars... Um, and we kind of put them down on the table and they all just fit together perfectly. And we're like, this is incredibly efficient, but also you'll never get it out of the corners of the jars when you, you're mm. trying to get a spoon in to get the last bit of chutney out. But, but yeah. that's in the manufacturer's interest, isn't it? For mm. there to be a little bit in the jar that you, you can't get out. It might not be very environmentally mm. sound, but it's really good for their, their product margins. So. <laughs> Yeah. So um, so this sort of thing can spontaneously occur. I'm reminded of uh, just the other day, my son was bouncing around the kitchen floor like he does. And the, the kitchen, pat, the pattern on the kitchen floor is sort of offset rectangles. And he's, he's bouncing around and he suddenly looked up at me and he said, a knight moves just like a bishop moves. And he's talking about chess pieces. And he, he showed me. And I said, yeah, on this floor it does. But a chessboard isn't like this floor, right? And he said, what do you mean? And so I sent him off and he got the chessboard out and he came back after a bit and he said, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. And it's, it's because they weren't lined up perfectly. The knight's move was just a diagonal move. If you, if you sort of went two that way and one that way, you ended up on a diagonal. And that sort of thing is fascinating. And you can then sort of in, involve him in a conversation about the pattern that he's noticed and things like that. But there's also a way of using these. You're talking about using these as prompts, right? So if you're, if you're mm. in a classroom, you might bring something in and... I mean, how does that work when you've got, um, you know, 30 minds all, all coming at this from different directions? Well, I, I think if a teacher chooses a particular picture, there, there's usually going to be a particular mathematical conversation that they want to have. And it's important to have the time with the openness, with everybody genuinely talking about what they notice and, and what they wonder. And sort of no wrong answers, improv rules kind of. yeah. Yeah, and I've suggested to teachers that you can just you know gather all of the suggestions together and then say, well, obviously we don't have time to explore them all, so we're going to focus our attention on this particular aspect of it and you know promise to come back to it another day maybe, which of course you then never do. <laughs> um, but yes, so it, sometimes that, that can actually be really empowering as a, an educator because children will notice things and pose questions that you hadn't even thought of and then you think well actually we will come back to this because the question you've just asked I wanted to focus on rotational symmetry but the question you've just asked would be a really good one to think about when we're studying area and it's also showing this idea and and I don't always use the notice and wonder prompt sometimes instead uh, I've asked questions like 
what do you notice? What questions do you think are mathematically interesting? Or what might a mathematician find interesting about this mm. picture? Stop stop talking about how soggy this biscuit gets. And, uh, t- tell me something mathematical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. The, the aim is to obviously get children to be thinking about themselves as mathematicians, but until they're ready to take that step, then you can have this sort of fictional mathematician and the sort of things mathematicians care about is uh, symmetry and classification and you know being able to calculate the, the key attributes of something. So you have this, this script of the sort of things a mathematician would find interesting and you encourage students to to think along those lines. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying to build this in myself. I'm just thinking about a workshop that I've got to run soon and I'm sort of, part of the point at the start is I, I give them a sort of puzzle to work on, but it's deliberately something that's a bit open-ended because I want to make the point that the way mathematicians do research is that they kind of see a pattern or they see a thing that they might want to investigate further. Um, and normally I just say, you know, can you can you solve this problem and give them a bit of time to work on it? I kind of give them a cut-down version of the question. Um, and my hope is that during the time they're thinking about that, that all of these sort of thoughts come in and I can then say, and you might imagine you can extend this in these different ways but I'm thinking about actually just adding in the question I want you to come back with a an answer to this problem and b a question that is a thing that your brain goes oh I wonder if this or you know I wonder what happens if I do that kind of thing um and I'm, I'm hoping that'll give them like giving them a prompt to come up with a question like that is a really mathematical thing to do I guess it, it's the way that mathematicians think and I really like getting that across to people because it's again it's that imagination that mathematics is all about getting the right answer the first time and and thinking in a very logical kind of computery way and not having any imagination whereas in fact it is really about sparking off things that you wonder about yeah yeah and I I think that's why picture prompts can be a really good way into this particularly um well, I, I say particularly with uh, younger students, but actually I think there's something quite engaging about something visually appealing for for any age of uh, of human. And yes, this 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 idea about generating questions and the creativity and the slightly off piste nature of it shows a different strand of mathematics that maybe isn't always present in uh, the way textbooks present mm. maths. Yeah, definitely. Mm. We, we have a um, final year module that we invented um, called Game Theory and Recreational Mathematics, which is, um, there's quite a lot of stuff in that, which is quite sort of free and open. And, you know, let's look at this game. How do you think the pieces of this game were, you know, why do you think they are the way they are? Or, you know, play this game and try and think about how the rules might be tweaked and things like that. And, and, Part of that is to try and get this sort of open creativity and sort of play-based sort of stuff going on. And one of the people who teaches that with me uh, referred to it as a totally authentic experience for a mathematician being in that room. (laughs) I just think that's lovely. It's Mm. the sort of thing Katie was talking about. Mm. That This is, you know, because I think they were playing some variant of noughts and crosses that I just taught them. Um, The two people who teach it with me were kind of distracted playing that on the board while the students were all doing something. yeah, he, I think he just found it very sort of lots of questions, lots of noticing and wondering. And um, it's it's nice that you can do that, as you say, with any any age of humans <laughs> and any sort of mm-hmm. mathematical ability. 
Yeah, and I think it also applies across different types of maths as well, because I'm thinking about this as a pure mathematician and I'm very much imagining somebody spotting a pattern in the integers or something. Um, but of course, if you're trying to model a real world problem, it's important to be able to analyse the situation and notice different aspects of it and kind of think about how they might be related to each other and what you might need to include in your model. So. Absolutely, and what's important and what's not important about this situation. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So, of course, yeah. those of course the two types of maths: number theory and uh, <laughs> modeling, modeling of physical systems. <laughs> of course, yeah. Good. So, if people want to uh, find more things to notice and wonder about, or follow you on Twitter or anything like that, what's the best way for them to do that, Alison? Uh, so, I'm on Twitter at Alison Kiddle. I post things like this um, occasionally, as and when I see them. So, if you go back through my old tweets you'll find some of them uh but i'm also trying to curate a page on my website uh with them uh with noticing and and wondering pictures which i'm trying to remember to update every time i've posted a a chunk more on twitter but there are also lots of other places around uh on the web and if you if you follow me on twitter and look at the the sort of things that i'm retweeting uh uh, or just look for notice and wonder uh, hashtags and so on. You can find lots of other people doing this as well. That's brilliant. So we're also on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Peter Ollett. And I'm at Stex. And the podcast itself is at Maths Objects. And both Peter and I blog at the A Periodical, which is aperiodical.com. And that's where you can also find more episodes of this podcast. And if you want to get in touch with us, if you have any uh, things that you have noticed or wondered that you want to let us know about or any thoughts or suggestions for future objects to feature, then you can get in touch by emailing objects at aperiodical.com. The music is Funk Game Loop by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you.